Hey everybody, this is Brandon. And for this episode, instead of having an episode featuring the HET team, we wanted to reshare a podcast episode from the Level Up podcast as this is really such a powerful episode that discussed a lot of relevant aspects regarding DPT education and academia. And I'd like to personally thank Zach Gabor and Stephanie Allen for all that they do with Level Up Initiative and for sharing this episode with us to be able to share it through our podcast. Um, now, if you've not heard of the Level Up Initiative, I highly recommend you look into it. And if you're unfamiliar with it, I'll share with you their mission statement on their website. The Level Up Initiative is a student and clinician-driven movement dedicated to inspiring positive change into physical therapy education with the ultimate goal of improving patient care. Through online mentorship groups and educational modules, students will be challenged to embrace a growth mindset and develop the skills necessary to become excellent clinicians and leaders, inspiring future generations of PTs to create positive change in our profession as a byproduct. Now, this episode features Level Up founder Zach Gabor um, and features him chatting with Dr. Daniel Kang, who is an associate professor at the George Fox University DPT program. And in this episode, they really talk about constructive changes in academia, which is really, really insightful and a really legit conversation. And this episode was originally released on May 31st, 2019. I hope you enjoy. Are you a student, new graduate, or clinician in physical therapy looking to become involved in making a positive difference in healthcare? If you answered yes, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Level Up Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Gabor. Level Up. What is going on, Level Up community? Hope you're ready to crank that meter all the way up today. I was told Dr. Kang was one of the most fired up professors in the game, and this episode proved to be 100% true. What I appreciated the most about this episode was the extreme transparency and authentic attitude from Dr. Kang. A lot of these topics surrounding evidence for curriculum in academia can be a very taboo topic. No one wants to feel like they are wrong or contributing to healthcare problems, but in this episode, we truly did not hold anything back. I will leave you with this quote from the man himself. We have to honor tradition, but we don't have to follow it. I so appreciated Dr. Kang's constructive and inspiring attitude towards driving positive change. And if this episode doesn't get you fired up, well then, I'm not sure what will. Hope you guys enjoy. What's going on? Happy Friday, Level Up community. We're in for another treat. Um, hope you're ready. Um, I'm personally really fired up for this episode. I hopped on the phone with this individual a couple weeks ago, and whew, it was uh, we were keeping it real, and it was a lot of fun. So um, Dr. Kang is a professor at George Fox University. As you know, I had Dr. Hauk on, I guess, a month or two ago, but um, very progressive school. They're really doing a lot of cool things, and I've only heard a lot of fantastic things about Dr. Kang from some of the students he has talking about all the passion he brings to the curriculum and to teaching. And so we're really excited to have him. Dr. Kang, welcome to the show. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me. I've been uh, excited about coming and joining you here at your podcast. Yeah, no, thank you, man. And I think just to get started, why don't you, uh, you kind of, because I'm curious to learn a little bit more too, but why don't you let us in the audience know a little bit more about your background and kind of your journey thus far leading you up into George Fox? Yeah, so I, I appreciate that. I'm going to try to make it sweet. 
and uh, maybe short, but I'm going to just try to maybe paint a picture of who I am. So I'm sure that there's a lot of students who listen to your podcast, maybe, you know, not even physical therapy students yet. And uh, I would tell you to tell them not to be discouraged. You know, I was one of those guys who thought maybe his life would actually uh, end up being in the restaurant business or having a bar. I just love people growing up. And that was like my big thing is like just people and getting together was huge. So I actually didn't have the grace to get into PT school and probably, people, people probably don't want to hear that, but I actually was an aide. Uh, and then from an aide, I became an assistant and I was the, probably the best assistant anybody wanted. And I was making more money at the age of 21 as a PT assistant and never thought I'd go back to PT school. And that's a true story. And I had an Olympic orthopedist that I worked with. And uh, he, this orthopod was all over me every day. And he's like, dude, you got to go back to school. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, I don't want to be a PT. Like, I just see them, like, buried under paperwork. And I don't want that. I want to be with the patients, like, every day. And this orthopod, he kept bugging me because we worked at the same hospital. And sometimes I would cover his clinic. And, you know, this Olympic orthopod, his name is Dr. Hayashi. Um, he was just every single day it's like you need to go back you need to go back and i think i just started doing it because i wanted him to get off my bag zach i mean that was really it <laughs> and uh you know my parents also had high ambitions for me and and uh, i had the only ambition i had was to uh, help people and um anyways went back got my master's degree i got into the program did well under my prereqs um after having some experience and then uh ended up getting my transitional doctorate degree and so that's kind of was my journey. I mean, I've really had almost every job you can imagine in physical therapy. And uh, it, I think it served me well because I'm one of those type of people that need experiential learning. And then from there, a year afterwards, I started my own practice. And the reason why I started a practice a year after PT school was is because, man, I just saw so much stuff that I could not just turn a blind eye to it. And uh, I remember my wife said to me, look, man, you know, like you, you complain every day and I'm tired of your complaints. <laughs> Do something about it. And I remember looking at her going like, I'm only a year out. And she's like, you know what? Everyone says you're so good. She goes, prove it. And I was like, what level up? You know, she was like, telling me, you know, like she was challenging me. Like she was the one that was, I, all your, all the professors I've met said, you're like one of the best students they've ever had. And make a long story short, I was just like, okay. And so I rented this room. I was like 250 square feet. I paid $900 a month. And I, got, I had a high load table, a rebounder, you know, a couple of free weights. And I put up my shingle. And I had a spine surgeon that I was in contact with. And in literally three months, I was seeing 60 patients. It was, it was nuts. It was full-blown, out of control. And then after that, people started finding me, wanting to work for me. And that happened for seven years. So we grew to a company of about 10, 10 individuals, you know, eight individuals. But it was busy and it was a really great life. But then I kind of hit a, I hit a wall. And that's kind of, I think, where you and I are going to talk about it. Um, so I hit a wall, not, in my, not in, my, uh, my, in my life, but I just started finding like I needed a I had all these questions. I don't know if you get that, Zach. Like you start having all these questions in the clinic. Oh, yeah. And you say, you say to yourself, man, how am I going to answer that? You know, how am I going to figure that out with working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week? Because that's what I was doing in private practice at that time. How am I going to answer these questions? And so then I 
met uh, Tyler Cutterfer, who's a director of my program. And that was a crazy story. I won't go into how we met, but I never even heard of George Fox University. He just started the program. I was in Southern California on the ocean. Just my wife and I just bought our dream home on the ocean. And we just thought for sure that we would end up there. And then lo and behold, you know, I ended up at George Fox making some decisions. And um, hopefully we can kind of maybe unravel what some of those decisions were to get me from private a private practice that we're doing well to into academics so yeah no absolutely um and great story there's a couple of talking points that i'd actually love to just um discuss a little bit more before we jump into that sure sure so you know one of the things i you know just listening first off you know thank you for sharing about the quote-unquote failure of not getting into school because i think that is a super important message for a lot of students and potential students to hear because I think it can seem like such a cutthroat sort of uh, really competitive environment. And it is competitive, but, you know, I'll be honest, I think some of the best PTs are the ones that are the people that are so gritty and uh, personable. And you spoke to something else, too. You were like, I just love being around people. You know, you, you kind of had these aspirations of potentially being in the service industry. Uh, you know, one of the PTs I look up to a lot, Derek Miles, he talks about how the best PT experience he ever had was being a, a bartender and a bouncer for a couple of years. And uh, I think that there's a lot of validity to that. You think so? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, man. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I think that, and that's funny because my ultimate job was always wanting to be Sam from Cheers. That was like always my like role model in life. It's like, I wanted to be Sam and everyone come in and say, hey, Norm, you know, and all these people come in. And I think that speaks well to physical therapy, but I think it's evolved. You know, I think we evolved. And yeah. I think that's why I, I enjoy, I enjoy now being in, um, I guess, in scholarship and academics because, you know, the reason why I evolved was that I, when I interview PT students, every single one of them, Zach, were like you and I, like, I want to work with patients. And I want to be with them and I want to enjoy them. And absolutely, I want you to enjoy the heck out of your patients. But it's also like, what are you going to do? I mean, well, how good is the tools that we have to get people better, right? And I think that comes with a progressive understanding of lots of different things like pain science, understanding of orthopedics and then therapeutic exercise. And so these are the questions that started coming because what I was taught in school wasn't how I was practicing in the clinic. There was this huge discourse, right? And I went to, a, I thought, a really great school, and I had great mentors there. But when I got into the clinic, man, it, it was like being in the front line now. And I was being, it was no longer a competition between physios. It was now competition with a like chiropractic, orthopedics, PM&R physician, massage therapist, personal trainers. And it's like, yeah, we're all on the same team, but where is the role of the physiotherapist? if all of these people are kind of coming in and what is our expertise, right? So this is the question I started to have is like, what is it that we really do and what can we do to make sure that we're progressive and always also have some scientific backing behind it, which is you know important for us. It's been important part of our tradition. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it's hard, right? You, you talk about having this, I think one of my biggest aspirations is wanting to have this sort of continuity of this message that we're getting across from a branding perspective. And I think there's a lot of backlash too, kind of about this whole like advocating for scientific, you know, 
sort of credibility behind everything that we're doing, I think it kind of gets lost in, in the way sometimes. So, you know, that leads me. So one of the questions that I think will lead into this was first off, going back to the story, you talked about, you know, you couldn't turn the blind eye anymore. You were, you know, you were out practicing, you couldn't turn the blind eye. You were telling your wife, like, you know, you know, WTF, like this ain't right. Like, can you kind of speak to exactly what that blind eye was being turned to more specifically? Yeah, I think it was the thing that was really bothering me in the early 2000s, Zach, was the fact that a lot of people were utilizing AIDS inappropriately, right? Because that's where everyone was just dumping uh, work to the AIDS. And one of the things, the business model that we went to is we had no, um, we had no assistance, no AIDS. It was fully a physical therapy run clinic. And, you know, you don't make as much money that way, as you know, because it comes down to you know, the trickle down effect. And we didn't, I said, our slogan at our clinic was the buck stops with me. So the buck stops with me is no longer, I'm going to go ahead and trickle it down to somebody else who may look at you, look at this in a totally different way because of their education background, but also their other biases that make them do things versus it's saying, you know what, this is, this case relies on me. And I think the therapist, every therapist that worked with me, honestly, they became better therapists, not because they worked with me, but because the culture was rich. And that showed in so many different ways, right? Like productivity, financial, you know, awards, every single person except for one, all received either an OCS or a woman certified specialist, all became specialists because they were able to say, you know what, the buck stops with me, not with my aide or somebody else, right? And I really love that model. And Back then, everyone, everyone was overutilizing the aid, and I just couldn't stand it. And I would look at the aid, and I felt terrible for them because I was one. I used to roll my eyes and like, why don't you do it? You know, if you're so, you know, like as an aid myself, I used to look at them like, I can't believe you're going. They, they're doing this high level therex or high level manual therapy, and then they look at me like, okay, Dan, now go ahead and give them the ultrasound. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, shouldn't we finish with a crescendo? Why are we finishing up with garbage? Like, we should be doing something else, right? And they would look at me, and I'm like, why, why are we doing that, sir or, or ma'am? And they would look at me, because that's what we do. It's our tradition. Right. And you know what? Traditions, it's, we have to honor them, but it doesn't mean we have to follow them. There is a total big difference, and I think that's when I decided at an early age, like, I'm not going to do the traditional route. I'm going to honor it, but I'm not going to follow it all the time. And perfect segue into asking questions. Cause I think that's what happens is if you take things at face value, you kind of just honor tradition. You have these really charismatic, well-intentioned mentors that you aspire to be like. And a yeah. lot of people, I think our academic culture kind of continues to perpetuate these kind of traditional therapists, which again, honor it well-intentioned, but innovation yeah. doesn't happen unless you're asking hard questions. So like, what were some of those questions that you were starting to ask yourself that led to that journey to academia? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question, right? And I've been spending the last six years unraveling what those questions were. To tell you the truth, Zach, it was more of a gut feeling. I don't know if you get that, right? I mean, something like deep inside, like a visceral response to like, there's something that I can't put my finger on, but there's a question I need to answer. But I would say that the one that I can definitely answer um, or tell you about the question wise was I wanted to know why some people got better and some people didn't. It was that simple. I just wanted to know, like, why do some people, if, if you and I had the exact same stimulus 
and we give it to uh, you know patient A and patient B. I just wanted to know what's those variabilities between those two people. Because to tell you the truth, selfishly, I wanted to figure it out so I can make everyone better. <laughs> I mean, that, that, I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's a really easy thing to think about. It's just like, yeah, if I could, if I could figure out the variabilities that doesn't allow people to get better, they have obstacles, then I can help people overachieve that. And I've realized that a lot of that kind of led me into my love for chronic disease processes. You know, I, I like the, I like the cases that are more complex. I'm not interested in, in the simple things, right? The simple things, I think there's a lot of people who, who we can utilize to do those things. And it's not downgrading. It's just, I have a, I have a doctor degree and I want to practice at the top of my license. Right. Right. And I think that's something I think we all want to do. And I sound, you know, from, from um, what I've heard about you, I mean, you're practicing at the top of your license and that's why you have so much passion and pleasure about what you do. Right. It's frustrating as heck, dude, come oh, on. Yeah. Right. When you're, when you find yourself practicing at another spot and no one else is there at sometimes it's frustrating, but at the same time, you know, it's the most rewarding. And so I want to kind of touch on another point. You know, I left a successful practice because I found the right environment to go into, you know, George Fox university is definitely a great university, but it's, it's no better than the people who are in it and creating that. And so when I met Cuddy, um, uh, Dr. Tyler Cutter, first shout out to him. Um, when I met him and Dr. Andrew Mazeros and Dr. Haug and the rest of the faculty at George Fox, I found a group of people, and, I, and I, this is a big thing, and I think hopefully, Zach, you can talk into this. Anybody who wants to work somewhere, right, the most important thing is not financial. Yeah, you have to meet certain norms, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But what's the most important thing, and you hear this, right, is the people you work with. And mm -hmm. all my life, I try to find those people, and it it's only happened to me like twice in my life and I'm 40, I'm 44 years old. And that's only happened twice in my life where I was with the group of people that I knew that were going to change the world. And when I met Cuddy, I say, like, okay. When I met Missouri's and how and Jacobson and all these other people at the faculty at George Fox, I said, these people want to change the world. And I will tell you, I'm going to tell you a story about how later, but uh, you know, I don't want to embarrass him, but, <laughs> yes. but I, I'll, I'll give you just a short story is when I interviewed, everybody had a part, but Hauk actually wanted to talk to me alone. And he actually um, confronted me and he says, what do you, he said to me, why do you think you will be successful in academics if you have no research agenda? And he says, you're coming from private practice. You should stay there. You're very successful. People who I've talked to who know you say you're an excellent clinician. You should stay in private practice. Do not come to academics and I remember I looked at I looked at him Zach he was you know and I said this is the guy I want to work with he's honest he doesn't lie to me he's telling me the truth and I don't know if you ever met people like that who like they're like telling you the truth and you're like man I'm gonna be best friends with this guy <laughs> he doesn't know it yet but he is exactly what I need it's someone who has this bull crap meter that's going to be like, you are bullcrapping right now, and I'm going to check you, and we're going to figure out why you're doing that. And I would tell you, when, I, when that occurred, and then also some of the other relationships I started developing there, I was like, these are the type of people I want to be around. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of my story around, you know, trying to answer some of these questions about um, helping people. Awesome. I'm curious. What did you answer, Dr. Hauk? What was your answer to that? 
Yeah. So I had two, I had two things going through my head. I was going to, I was going to either tell him the truth, which sounded really, really stupid, which was like, uh, I don't have one. And uh, that's why I'm here, which sounds like I'm like a total novice. Right. And I, I, I haven't said that for years because, you know, I have my own practice or I could lie to him and say, you know what, I'm interested in low back pain and I've done this and that, you know, how people like piece things together. Yeah. And I decided, yeah, I decided, Zach, to be honest. And when you're honest with somebody and you, like, reveal yourself to them, like, Hauk was very generous and gracious about it. He didn't, like, attack my belly. You know, he didn't go for the jugular, right? He didn't right. say, oh, you're, you're an idiot. He, you know what he did? He basically looked at me and he says, I don't know why you would do this in mid-career. Like, <laughs> you are, you know, it's like, you're doing great. You shouldn't. Why are you taking this risk, man? And you know what? The risk was this, Zach, and I hope people are listening to this part. It cost me something to leave private practice. To answer those questions and you have those gut feelings of the things that you want to see changed in life, it, there's always a cost. And it cost me basically three-fourths of my salary to leave private practice to come to academics. It left me leaving my home and leaving my family and bringing my wife and my kids up. I mean, we completely transplanted to another state that I've never been a part of and left everything we had to come up. And uh, again, financially, I mean, when you're making this amount of money, it's like my accountant was so mad I was leaving. He was telling me, are you an idiot? People dream about making this much amount of money at your age. Like, you are an idiot to leave. I mean, he kept telling me, like, I advise against it. I advise against it. Like, do not do this. Stop. Right? Do not hit the go button. And, uh, you know, you find yourself making those decisions, so it costs us something. But you know what? At the same time, it's, give, it's given me whole ability to access information and communicate like I never have, Zach. Like, I get to communicate every single day and to study every single day and to put it out there. And that's, that for me feels like more authentic than sitting behind, you know, my clinic and being, you know, being behind things. And dude, I loved it, man. I, I still get emails from my patients, Zach. I mean, we still talk and we, we talk about things that they need and we have great relationships there, but it's now different, you know? It's like, it's, I don't know, it's a different place. And I think, you being a young guy, man, I'm excited about what you're doing and like what this next season is going to look like for you. So I, I see life a lot like seasons and I feel like this is my season, man. I'm going to make the most of it, you know, so. Dude, that's, that's freaking awesome, man. And I, I mean, you know, I can obviously speak to Dr. Hauk, you know, cause yeah. I have him for my summer anatomy and just literally yeah. one of the most authentic guys um, that I've ever met. And I think that is honestly what kind of sometimes makes <laughs> the best teachers is yeah. you not necessarily need to be the smartest person. Obviously, that's a nice compliment, but just that authenticity is so tangible that it's like infects you and it infects yeah. you to want to be like, to be the best you can be. And that was what always resonated with me with Dr. Hauk and what I can feel from the culture of George Fox is you yeah. guys are all there. It's not just because you like academics or you like research. Like, like you said, you said, man, like these people are going to change the freaking world. Like these people are not, this isn't just a job. This is like, they're trying to make moves and you are a yeah. part of a community. You are part of a culture that is literally on the forefront of progressive academic 
culture and education. And what honestly, and part of why I'm really happy to have you on the podcast, man, is my hope is that this can be a great learning lesson for, because there's a lot of teachers and professors out there that listen to this, that are wanting yeah. to do some of the stuff that you guys are doing at George Fox, because it's honestly right. incredible, but it takes courage. It takes vulnerability, because what you guys are doing is asking some really hard questions that aren't really that convenient to find the answers to. Um, cause it is a lot easier to kind of like fall back on tradition and the way we've always done things. But, um, you know, I think that leads nicely into this next section, which is talking a little bit more about the curriculum and how you're able to kind of like give us some insight to, to what that looks like and what that feels like. And, uh, just sort of like that overview, if that, if that's cool. Yeah, of course. So, you know, I teach a lots of different courses there. So the first, so, you know, the first three years, I would tell you, Zach, you hit it right on the nose, man, I was giving homage to my mentors and the professors before me. And I was, I was not a very good teacher the first three years. And you know what, my teaching scores show that. Because the thing is, is that when you're learning something new, the first thing you do is you look for your mentors and your and your past teachers and you model after that. Right. And so after the third year, I said to myself, Zach, like, man, I can't do this like this. Like, I can't teach like, you know, Mr. Whatever, Dr. X, you know, I can't teach like Hauk or I can't teach like this. I have to teach like myself. And I just didn't know if I was ready to like unleash that beast inside of me because it's like there's a beast inside of all of us. Oh, yeah. And we and it, and, and it comes out. And for me, where I feel the most free honestly, is not when I'm doing research, because I love research, but it's when I'm actually treating patients. Like, I feel like that unleashes things inside of me. So I know what it feels like to be in the front line, because I still practice and I practice in primary care, uh, which is a lot of my research is around embedding physical therapy in primary care with physicians where you are right there with them. So I practice a lot in primary care, I practice in acute care, and that all translates to being a really good teacher because Cuddy said to me, why, do you, why don't you teach like the way you practice? Because him and I were like seeing patients together and he was like, dude, you're like fierce. You're like the Korean Michael Jordan of physical therapy. He's like, you should just do this, right? And he's like, you should just do this. And I'm like, how do you teach like that? And he goes, that's your problem. You figure it out. But you teach like the way you practice. And then you're, gonna, you're not going to have any issues. And when he said that, Zach, my whole curriculum changed. I mean, I just looked at that and said, okay, so what are the criteria or what are the pillars that I look at in practice? So I look at what's best evidence, right? And I just look at that and I hone into that. I think to myself, what is it that the patient's problem really is? As I go into that. And then the last piece for me was being able to do research um, or scholarship with, you know, my team. And once we started doing that, I was able to see the big picture of how to put a plan together. And so I started pushing the curriculum. And I think the first thing, and I hope this is gonna, this might make some people mad, but Zach, I threw away all the textbooks. I, I have them as maybe recommended textbooks and things that they may need. But what happened was is that I started using best evidence by putting together pamphlets of ev best evidence with um, papers. And so I went from reading textbooks to reading more um, research papers. Um, I'm known for in the, and I'm not trying to brag, but I'm known for in our um, university for reading, being just a notorious reader. Like I'm voracious because I wanna know what's 
good and how to help people around that. And so that changed the way I saw things. So it seems very simple, but I would tell you what's easiest is to work on your PowerPoints, Zach. It, that's, that's the easy standard. Work on your PowerPoints and just make sure that they're up to date versus like, is this what's the best evidence right now and how do I communicate that? to our students. And they're always going to be ahead of the clinics then because they have the ability to then have the best at that moment and be able to share that with others. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't think you're making a lot of people listening to this podcast mad, maybe some, um, but I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Our, one of our big mantras is like constructive disruption, if you will, because at the end of the day, like I'm, I it came for me. It was like I can't turn a blind eye. You know, I'm seeing yeah. stuff on the day to day where physios are still practicing out of the textbook the way we've always done it. And you yep. look at the numbers, and we're in the middle of a freaking healthcare epidemic. We're yep. leading the charge with cost. We're leading the charge with chronic pain, disability. So how the f could we not look at ourselves in the mirror and realize that there's got to be a better way to freaking do this? So absolutely, going to calm down for a sec. But I do appreciate <laughs> the fact that you're taking a stand in academia where I'll be quite honest with you. Like I've been kind of ostracized by certain academic institutions for asking those questions and for challenging the status quo, even though it's coming from a really good place of literally just trying to provide the best possible care for the human beings that we serve. And I think that's what comes through from you guys. And that's why you guys are doing literally such amazing things because you're going to be creating the clinicians that do change healthcare. Like I can yeah. tell you that for a fact, the people that you're pumping out of George Fox are the game changers. And it starts with the academic, it starts with the teachers. And, uh, you know, I want to get a little bit of glimpse into the coursework now, because I agree, you know, having that, those PowerPoints are great. Um, I think a, a question that I get a lot is um, from other professors as well. How do you balance your presentations with um, the need to satisfy CAPTI requirements while yeah. still providing, you know, contemporary evidence that might be counter to that, that might challenge that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I want to, I, w- I want to um, kind of speak into um, what you're talking about, how institutions are. You know, I think that one of the things that I can say is that at George Fox, we're not, we're interested in creating physical therapists, but we're also interested in creating leaders. And I think that's what you're talking about is leadership. Now, I don't think every program is interested in um, creating leaders. But at George Fox University's innovation makes you a leader. When you're innovating something, that means that you are a leader. And so this is the, the, the challenge is the fact that they can have someone as passionate and maybe, you know, well-read like myself. But how do I impart that to our students who will ask the hard questions and then come to the point where they can actually go out and share that with other people, Zach. That is a hard thing when you're trying to create leaders versus just trying to uh, pass national boards. Because that, to me, is honestly the bare minimal. So going back to like the CAPTI question, like how do I balance that? Is that the CAPTI curriculum or their satisfaction is the bare minimal things that we should be doing as professors. It is the foundational part, but then you have all of this other room that you should build your curriculum around, not just the standard that CAPTI sets. Because again, 
we need a standard. I mean, every organization needs that standard, but it's like, do you have that as the highest standard? So I hate it when websites have 100% graduated national board exam. You know what? That doesn't mean squat to me. You can do that, but you can have an awful career, you know? And this is the thing. You want to make sure that you keep the curriculum or the CAPTI um, requirements as the standard, but it doesn't have to be the highest standard. It could be the lowest standard. And then you have all this other rooms act to work on. And I, I think that that's the thing. It's like, if you're not interested in making leaders, if you're not interested in cha making change or seeing physical therapists different or physical therapy practice different, then you're going to continue to do that standard of care of, at that level. And so even in academics, are you willing to look at it and turn a blind eye? I guess if that's a word we want to say, or are we willing to say to ourselves, you know, what is, what is where are we going? I mean, where is physical therapy going as a profession? And are we teaching up to that? Or are we teaching to what we think that the, the student, you know, the, that we think the students need? And, and I would ask the other question to academics or to people, have you been in the clinic recently? And do you know what's happening in the clinic? You know, do you see the struggles that your student is having when he has all of these comorbidity patients with, you know, all of these pain syndromes and you're trying to tell them to do just this treatment option and i would tell you it's it's it's, hard, it's disheartening to watch sometimes you know the things that we're doing in the clinic versus you know what i think needs to be a progressive ability the other thing i do that everyone thinks is crazy zach is i take live patients i bring live patients into that almost i don't even know i don't even know them They'll, I'll get a call from somebody and say, hey, you know, I want to, um, you know, have any consult with Dr. Kang. And um, I will blindly say if it's the right body part, I will actually bring him to class and do a full initial evaluation in front of the students. And I will, I, I won't, I won't uh, pre uh, look at their charts. I won't do any of that. I will blindly come into it just like you would if you're busy. Mm -hmm. And we do a patient in front of everybody. And sometimes it gets sideways really quick and it's awesome. And you students see then what tools I'm pulling and utilizing. And that's usually the end of the semester. And then what I do is then we do this huge community outreach and then patients come in for that body part. So let's check, take low back pain and then they do initial evaluations. And then we do grand rounds. They present their patients and then we talk about it. And I'm telling you, this, there's nothing better than getting your head on straight than to see patients together. That to me, Gets because now what you've done is you set the tone, you got the standards down, you've got the test down, you've got everything down, but then now you brought the clinical aspect into the classroom instead of you saying, Oh, that's for con ed, you just go over there, and that's now for the clinical instructors to teach you. Because if you think about it, there's so much gap between what you're taught in school and clinical education. Your clinical instructors are not always right on par with what's best evidence. And so what's happening then is what's that gap look like? So what I said was, let's take that gap apart and let's bring, bring patients into the clinic, I mean, into academic, and let's treat them together and let's see how Dr. King handles this case. And then let's see how the students handle this case. And then let's break it down. And that's where I think the students go like, whoa, there's something different here. <laughs> he just saw a patient he never met. And they're complex, you know, so. Well, I mean, dude, I couldn't even imagine. First off, I'm pumped because I bet, and this is what I can, and this is just my, you know, my gut instinct is the same way you're talking to me right now is the same level of authenticity and transparency. And, you know, 
graded hypeness that you're meeting these patients with, you know, that same yep. sort of fierceness and advocating for them. And I think that just showing patients that, because I think that was one of the hardest things that I always had a lot of cognitive dissonance with as a student transitioning into academic was I always was kind of graded on my CPIs as, uh, you know, you always, this mold of being so sterile with your patients and kind of just like running through the thing. And I would kind of just be me and like be goofy or like say terms that weren't like the perfect medical thing and get critiqued for that. But I grew into me and that's ultimately when I have students come in and we do evals on the spot, it's that same, the same way I'm talking to you the same mannerisms is the same way that I will, you know, build relationships with, with patients because they're humans. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's so valuable for, uh, for students to get to see, cause you said it, man, that gap is huge. And I think that's what is the biggest issue is we have students coming through our clinic and some of them have been exposed to this stuff and yep. some of them it's like, Oh my God. It's like, yeah, it's not even their own. It's not even their fault though. That's the way that they're socialized in their academic experience. Yeah. So that's where I'm like, holy crap, man. Like that's uh that to me was like, you know, I'm curious to get your feedback on, you know, we're in this tough place right now, right? You're talking about this, you know, this sort of position of like, you're creating leaders and I agree. And, you know, that's our goal with level up, I guess, is we are creating leaders, you know, we're creating agents of change agents that are going to advocate for, for doing right by our patients. Yeah. Um, but I can't help but feel like, and this is part of the whole political tabooness of it all, is that while our, you know, CAPT still has requirements, but I would argue that, you know, these same requirements and these th same things that we're being taught are contributing to some of the healthcare epidemic because they're creating physical therapists that look at the human in this very sterile biomedical perspective. Um, and I think that that's problematic because if I have those students coming into my clinic, there's not a chance in fucking hell that they're talking to my patients. I won't let it happen. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? I'm scared of the narratives that they're going to tell them. And yeah. uh, it's like a big problem. Like I think it's like genuinely a big problem, but it gets a ton of backlash because no one wants to hear a four year new grad, you know, calling, you know, calling it how I see it, but I just can't turn a blind eye to it, man. It's like, it's tough. I, it feels like such a tough position. And so Steph and those around me were saying like, Zach, stop complaining and do something <laughs> about it. And that's why yeah. I started level up because I was yeah. like, I'm not going to sit around and do nothing. Like I want to take action and I want to do something to better prepare these students and new grads to be better equipped to handle the messiness that is rehab, to be yeah. better equipped to navigate all of these contemporary problems we're having. And uh, it's just, it's a hard dilemma to be in. So I'm, I'm curious, like your thoughts do you find that to be an issue kind of like where we're at with the CAPTI requirements and just the general sort of theme across different academic institutions um, in DPT curriculum? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a good, good question. And I, you know what, to tell you the truth, I love talking with, uh, I love talking with new grants and I, to tell you the truth, Zach, like, I think your perspective is so needed because a four-year grad actually has enough experience and enough time now to say, this is what I wish I would change. So I've been out of school now for 15 years and you can tell I'm a passionate dude, just like you. Right. <laughs> but it's also, you know, the thing I tell people is I'm passionate, but I'm also well-read and actually have, you know, grants and done, you know, other scientific or scholarship things. So I tell people what I think is happening with me is I'm becoming more well-balanced and balance doesn't mean you're not passionate. It just means that you're more dangerous. And I think balanced thinking is exactly what you're talking about, right. Versus being stuck. And the thing that I never want any of my students to feel like, Zach, is that they're stuck. 
They're stuck to doing the sterile things in life. Now, there's certain procedures that we, you and I know that we are going to have to challenge because there's a thing called the Lindy effect. And the Lindy effect is this effect that we always talk about. And this guy, Dr. Mazeros and I, we talk about the Lindy effect basically says that if it's been around for a long time, it must be right. You know, it's like it's been a long time for be right. So one of the things I would tell you that we can maybe talk about in kind of an about way, but that maybe with that might help clinicians is this. When I came out of school, all glute, all like lateral hip pain was actually um, um, hip bursitis. Everybody says it's herpesitis, right? So it's like herpesitis. So what is the what is the medicine for herpesitis if you're in primary care or a PM&R physician? It's a cortisone injection. You get a cortisone injection, right? But check this out. So what's the newest science? Diagnostic ultrasound. So we use diagnostic ultrasound, and now no longer do we see herpesitis. Now we call it gluteotendinopathy, right? Because with the ultrasound, we can do it, right? But people are still doing cortisone injections into the hip because not everybody does diagnostic ultrasound. There was an article that came out by BMJ, uh, British Medical Journal in 2018, it's called the LEAP trial. And they actually showed that, that loading the hip using an exercise program was actually better than cortisol injections for gluteal tendinopathy. And so you ask me, okay, if we're still teaching people about hip bursitis, right, and not teaching people how to load the hip correctly, because we know it's gluteal tendinopathy, right? And we're not tackling that on. You know what, Zach? We're doing a huge disservice to our patients. So how do I balance that out? CAPD is the minimal standard for me. The rest is what I want to teach the students. And they can have the different pools. But again, I'm not focused down on that. I'm more focused on like what is the balanced thinking that we need to go to. But I've had enough time. Dude, I've had enough time from, you know, graduating to where I'm at now to kind of get to that point. When I was your age, come on, man. I was the same thing. Like, I was just like spitting venom, right? I was ready to roll. But now at this point in my timeline, I see it as just two different poles. You know, we, here's, here's the minimal standard and here's, here's the clinical standard. But you know what? In that box, we can do that. But where is the median? You know, where's that shift, right? And so we have to shift that needle up. And that's where I think you're at. I think you're on the progressive line. And I think that's what makes your podcast interesting and provocative. Because to tell you the truth, it's where we're going to be. I think you're, you and I, when we will continue to be friends, or this is the first time we met, but I think we're going to have different conversations in 10 years. Yeah. I don't think it's going to look like this, right? And so right. what you and I progress. We're just pushing that, you know, we're pushing that forward. But I, I love your passion, dude. And I think you have insights that I don't have because you're in a different time than I am. And right. I think we need to listen to that, man, and not feel threatened by it, but to embrace it and be like, let, let's listen. And we have, this, we have this exit interview. I hate it. So we exit interview every person that um, leaves George Fox. And we ask some questions, man, that are not nice to listen to. Like, we will ask them questions like, if you could change anything, what would you change? And the students are very upfront and they tell us, and you know what? We sit down at the beginning of the school year and we look at that and we start saying to ourselves, do we need to change the curriculum? And we have a pain science course that used to be a psychosocial course. And we changed it because only 6% of the country actually had a class dedicated to pain. And so we decided that we we're going to do it because our students came back and said, we don't know how to treat chronic pain. 
And you and I would laugh because it's like most of our patients who come in have chronic pain, right? So they're telling us, we, and we have a very robust orthopedic, therex, neuroscience, neuromuscular. It's a great curriculum. But they were coming back and like, no, we're talking about the clinical stuff. Like, we don't know how to do assessments and how to do all these things that patients are coming yeah. in. So we changed the curriculum, <laughs> right? We changed the curriculum from a psychosocial, which is more like, you know, psychological, social interactions, mm -hmm. classes where you sit together and you have the little case studies. You remember this, Zach? And then you talk to each other and you're wondering, why am I paying for this? This is yep. crazy. I would scoff at and, it, man. That's right. And so what we did was it was too sterile. And so what we did is we enhanced it. We brought in a different type of curriculum to change right. that. It, it goes back to what you said. I mean, it's you have to do the hard work. But man, talk about a lot of work. You know, it's like you have to change the whole curriculum now. You got to change everything. Right. And I think that's what, you know, where we're at. I think it's just like, are we planning? Are we, are we choosing to do that kind of good work? So. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that's another great point too, right? You said like you got a lot of feedback from students that said they wanted X, Y, and Z and yeah. lo and behold, you made it happen. Um, so, you know, it's crazy because, you know, it's, it literally, I guess probably, you know, the level up initiative is free. <laughs> um, I think a big part of, <laughs> I think a big part of what fuels that Dan is when you read through some of these applications of these students, yeah. Oh my God, I don't know if I want to cry or get excited or like exactly what I feel. But the yep. biggest thing in over, there's been over almost like 400 applications over the past year. What, what would you like to see different? Like, I feel underprepared to treat chronic pain. I don't know shit about pain science. My curriculum's still pushing an extremely biomedical perspective. I don't know anything about exercise. These yeah. are the frontline high value treatments for persistent pain. And yeah. students, I know for a fact, are saying to their faculty year after year, let's do this. Shout out to universities like George Fox. I know Quinnipiac listened yeah. to the feedback from their students and created yeah. the strength and conditioning elective. And That's the faculty awesome. there is like, has great humility. Again, like you're speaking to these characteristics of what do I wish to see? I just like, I know I don't have all the answers. I know that's for damn sure. But I'll tell you what. I'm pretty damn well read and I will continue to read voraciously on a daily basis so that yep. I can be less wrong on a daily basis and have a seat at the table and have a conversation. But I'll tell yep. you what, you know, the experience card, like when that gets yep. thrown out, that's something that gets me tachycardic. Um, yeah. I just want to have a conversation. We need to be willing to have a culture that's okay with being wrong. Um, that's okay with embracing uncertainty. And I think that's a big issue that I, that I see in the feedback I get from different academic institutions is this lack of intellectual humility, this lack yes. of listening to feedback from students yep. and not make, and it's this passive didactic experience rather than this very like emergent, interactive, like fun, infectious learning environment that really produces leaders. So, you know, that's, that's where we're hoping to see things go for sure. Well, it sounds like you're already doing that. And I would say the fact that it's like the numbers don't lie and you have 400 applicants, Zach, tells you that there's a huge need for what you're doing. And I think, again, I think if anyone is, you know, humble enough to listen, right, I think that that just the message alone, I mean, you have so much qualitative research just there sharing right. with us, going like blaring, right, sirens, like, hey, you know, like change, we need change because I have 400 applicants. It's like, you don't know, if to, you don't know if to cry. And this is the thing, when it all comes down to it, right, doesn't it come down to patient care for a lot of us? 
And this, think about what the patients are saying. They're saying the same thing, man. I mean, there's not a day that doesn't go by that a patient tells me that someone said to them to not move because they have low back pain, to do bed rest. All the things that you and I would think like, are you kidding me? But I hear this on a daily basis, that their back is broken, that their spine is fragile. And, you know, one of my favorite sayings is like, no, your back is strong. And I'm going to say it to them, right? And the thing is, is that people just are so confused on what is fact and what is fiction. And I would say what they think is fact can actually do harm if they're not careful, right? And so this is the thing. It's a paradigm. And the other thing I want to say is, is that the world has gotten a lot smaller you know, because of technology. And I would say that one of my greatest influences, I mean, I love the United States, man. I mean, it's a great, great country, and we have a lot going for us. But, you know, we spend a lot of money, and we over-medicalize people here. And so I look to the other countries that may be doing a, maybe a better job. And so some of the countries in Europe, Australia, Canada. So what, I've, what I would say is this. A lot of the evidence and a lot of mentorship that I receive is probably coming more from there because they've already had access to patients who aren't going to get surgical intervention because right. of just the cost, right? Or because of disability. And I would say that's, that's the advantage, honestly, of like technology. Let's use it for that kind of progression where it's like we can learn from each other and have a cooperative experience throughout the whole world. Let's not just think that we have to be the answers, but let's collaborate together. And that's one of the things. It's like you and I, 50 years ago, we probably wouldn't ever met. But now, look, we're having a podcast together, right? And we're <laughs> conjoining minds, you know? Um, yeah. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a crazy uh, a thing. And then yeah. the, last thing is, the last thing is, like, you know, I've, I've learned a lot in, the, in my journey. And I think we, we all have. And my thing is, like, let's not get stuck. Let's help unstuck people, unstick people, and let's be a bridge for people who feel like they're stuck, man. You know, maybe you need to be a plow or whatever you need to be, but I consider myself to be a bridge, and I just want to make people come back and forth. You know, and the, one of the stories, I had a lady who just um, brought it in my class, and she's been a physical therapist, I think, for 20 years. And she basically had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a colleague at George Fox, and she says, I'm stuck. And he goes, she goes, I don't know how to get unstuck. And he says, you should take King's orthopedic spine course. That's going to help you get unstuck. So she comes in. I'm not kidding. And I could just tell that she hasn't had it for a while. So we're just grilling her. And it, the class is going on. She shot me an email and I told, she'd said to me, it's the biggest risk I've taken professionally to audit your class. But it's been the most rewarding and it has been the best thing I've ever have done. And she wanted to thank me. And I would tell you that we all have to take risks. We all have to take risks. For me, I took a risk and you know what? I make this amount or whatever, but I don't even think about it. I just talk about it because I want people to know there's a positive and there might be consequences. But you know what? If anyone could think about it from this point is what are you willing to risk to get to where you want to go? Yeah. I would say that is the crucial point. So academic, scholarship, all of these things that we're discussing, the ultimate goal, what is it? And for me, is to communicate with my students effectively. <laughs> and I want to look them in the eye, Zach, when they go to clinical and they say, Dr. King, you told me the truth. I want to be like Hauk and said to them, I didn't lie to you, did I? I didn't say that this, you know, this is going to happen. This is gonna... I want to say to them, dude, you don't know anything, but let's learn together. I want them to look me in the eye and say, you told me the truth. 
when I went to practice and how to do it and what to do. So communicating with my, with my, um, with my um, students. The other thing too is I want to help push good academic scholarship for the thing that's asking clinical questions as much as moving science forward. So that's what I'm doing in, in my scholarship. The last thing I want to do is I want to change my flipping whole community. I want my community to be rock stars, man. I want people to be running and lifting and being doing life, man. And so I got to change my community, but I, it takes an army to do that. Yeah. And that's level up, right? You guys are creating an army to do that. So you guys are creating an army at George Fox. And I think you, you just remind me of one of my favorite quotes. It's super corny, but, uh, goes yeah. a little, I'm, I think I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like, um, it was from originals by Adam Grant. And it was like the, you take that risk when the fear of not succeeding outweighs the risk of failure. Um, cause it's terrifying doing what I'm doing on a daily basis, putting myself out there, sacrificing a tremendous amount is absolutely terrifying. But yeah. the, the fear of not making a massive impact and helping get healthcare to a better place that terrifies me even more. And so I won't sit around, you know what I mean? Yep. No, I, 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 I want to be around people like you and that's, that's that. Yeah. And that's the truth. And the reason why is, is because it takes, you know, it takes all types of people to move it forward. And I would say that that's what I'm excited about. And I'm excited about, you know, education because I see that in each of my students and I see that with what we're doing and, um, you know, it's the right environment. It's the right time. And we're going to make a change, man. And uh, we are. And it's been a great ride. And I look forward to, you know, seeing what's next. So. Amen. Yeah. So, I mean, we realistically could probably talk for a whole day. And I'm definitely looking forward to when we get to link up in person. Um, yeah. But, you know, again, just to kind of wrap it up, because I think there was some really good stuff in here. Um, you know, what would really be your biggest piece of advice for students, new grads, you know, even clinicians out there listening to this podcast episode, what would be your biggest piece of advice for them? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of bite off, I'm going to just kind of bite off of what you were saying earlier is that the fact that, you know, we're always evolving as people. And that, you know, the joy of it is, is actually the whole, the journey of it. It's not that like the outcome, right? It's the journey. And if you can enjoy the journey, but also to set the goal so high that you, you may only have two or three really goals that you may accomplish. And I know, I know a lot of people are into like short-term goals and medium-term goals, but I want you to set the trajectory high. And, you know, you're saying you want to change the way um, physical therapy is being done, and that's a very high goal. So if I can challenge somebody, is to say, you know what, enjoy the journey, but make sure your trajectory is high and make sure that you have the right team around you and the right environment to do that. And if you don't, just like you said, you have to make a change. Everyone has to look at that and say, am I doing those things or do I have to make a change in my life? And once you get on that trajectory, now you've got that sweet spot where you can just keep riding that and seeing where that takes you. But there are times where you have bumps in the road and that's where you really get those gut checks. And I appreciate gut checks because it makes you recognize, like, am I doing the right thing? And so that would be my advice for people. Amen, man. That's that's solid advice. And uh, really appreciate the time here today talking, Dan. And, uh, you know, if it's cool, would it be all right if I uh, list your email in the show notes? So if any, you know, students and or especially like faculty professors out there listening that want to reach out and kind of pick your brain, uh, that'd be cool. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. I would, uh, I, I welcome it. I look forward to it. So Beautiful. thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Cause like you said, it's all about when you get yourself around the right people, it's literally the corniest thing ever, but that quite literally is how you level up because you keep pushing each other, feeding off each other's energy. And that's really how innovation happens. So um, really excited to have this chat, excited to keep this relationship going. And I can't wait till we get to nerd out clinically uh, in person. Cause that's going to be a hell of a time. Yeah, I can't wait. The patient better watch out, man. Having two of us in the room might have caused a combustion. (laughs) It would be fun as hell, man. But all right, Dan, enjoy the rest of your day and we will chat soon. All right, talk to you later. Thanks, Zach. This episode is brought to you by our proud affiliates at Physio Network. In today's healthcare landscape, staying on top of evidence is freaking hard. Yet, this is a critical piece to staying as informed as possible and practicing at the top of your license. If only there was an easy, affordable, and convenient way to not only stay on top of evidence, but apply it clinically. Well, lucky for us, the fantastic people at Physio Network have solved this issue in a huge way. Their monthly research review costs you less than two cups of coffee a month and boasts some of the most well-respected clinicians in the world writing these reviews. It goes without saying, we would not be recommending anything we did not truly believe in. We will place the link in the show notes, and if you have any questions about the product, please feel free to send us a message.